So we're starting a new sermon series, Top 10. And uh, this is not Sports Center, okay, but you know, it is, did kind of get me excited when I saw this was, the, this was the graphic that was designed for today. You know, uh, and, but today's sermon is about God's Top 10, okay? The reason we're calling it that is because I was afraid, you know, if I announced that I'm going to preach on the, the Ten Commandments, I was afraid none of you'd show up. You know, because I mean, the Ten Commandments, that's not really exciting, an exciting topic, is it? When you just, you know, Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah, we know them. Or do you know them? We probably don't know all ten of them. Can't get them all in right order. I, I can't get them all in right order, uh, some of those last ones all the time. But it's sometimes it's not a very exciting subject when you start thinking about the Ten Commandments. Until you start looking at what it's really saying. We really look at what the Ten Commandments are all about. Because, and, and I think a lot of Israel was exactly this way, the way a lot of us are when we see something like this. We start seeing, okay, here's t- 10 commands. You know, that's what we, we call them, the 10 commandments. The, the 10, 10 things that God commands that we have to do. This is like, you know, dad showing up, you know, in the middle of all the fun that we're having. And dad said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, y'all about to get hurt here. And so let me give you these 10, da, 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 da. Oh, man, you're the, you're the killjoy, Dad. You know, you're just, you just don't want us to have any fun. And that's the way a lot of people look. And I think even Israel, a lot of Israelites, looked at the Ten Commandments this way. But when you see what they really are, when you see what they really are, and that's what I want to do with you today. I'm, I, we're going to do this in two parts because there's just absolutely no way I want to run through the Ten Commandments in, in one service. Okay, so we're going to do this part. Uh, you got God's Top Ten, Part One. Next week is God's part, uh, Top Ten, Part Two. And I really hope that you catch what I, what I catch with this so much so that you want to be back next week and you want to hear what else God is saying to us, okay? So let, let's, let me show you. Here is the introduction. In Exodus chapter 20, before God begins to give these, here's kind of his introduction. God spoke all these words and, he, and he's speaking them to Moses to share with the Israelites. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So why are you here today? You know, if I, had, if I had said, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, why would you have shown up today? You know, and it really, why are you here at all? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, just Sunday morning's, you know, my day to sleep in. Sunday morning's, you know, Sundays are my day to go have fun, go do something with the family. It's, you know, it's Sunday morning, I, I'm off work and I, all of those things. Why are you here? And, you know, in this verse right here, we see the two reasons that most of us show up at church. And not just here in this, this local church but in churches all over the world today. And we see the two reasons. Here they are. I am the Lord your God who brought you out or I drew you out. You're here because God has drawn you. And sometimes it gets easy to forget that, but, but it, you need to remind yourself, stir that up and remind yourself, God drew me to him. I, I didn't choose God. God chose me. There's something inside of me that, that wants, me to be, wants, wants me to be more, wants me to be closer to him, and, and it is that God drew him. And he said, I drew you out of slavery. Okay, and, and here's the other thing. I, I read an awesome quote this past week. I almost threw it into the sermon, but I've, I've got so much stuff, I said, I can't throw any more into the sermon. Awesome quote that I read from John Piper this week, you know, and, 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 and how he talks about that is, is as, as Christians, we don't just realize the, the, the dangers of sin because the Bible says da 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 da, but because we have experienced the dangers. We have experienced the rewards of, of walking in ways that aren't pleasing to God and walking in ways that are detrimental to us. We've experienced that, and so, and, and so because of that, we know that we've been brought out of slavery. We've been brought out of slavery to sin, and those are the reasons that really that we show up on Sunday. 
Because God's drawn us and because we know the penalty, we know the, the rewards, we, we, we know the bad stuff that happens when we do things our own way and we do them without considering eternal consequences of the things that are happening. Now here's the specifics of this, is that Moses is, is now being told by God, I want you to go and, and I want you to share this. He's, and he said, I'm about to share with you, and they called it the law, the Torah, we sometimes call it the law, so this, this Old Testament understanding of, of what, and, and so God says, Moses, I want you to go tell Israel. And I want you, I want you to tell them these things. See, Israel, they had been in Egypt now for a couple of hundred years, and they had fallen into slavery. Just a couple hundred years ago, the whole nation of Israel was one big, huge family. It was Jacob who God changed his name to Israel, and that's where we get the name Israel today. And, and, and there was this one big family, Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons. And they had gotten married and they had a bunch of kids. And so they were this one big, huge family. And one of the sons, Joseph, he, he had risen to be the second in command. He was right up under Pharaoh. And, and God was using him and Pharaoh had promoted him because he had such wisdom. And God was using him and Pharaoh was using him also to feed the peoples of, of the nations. The, the, the family of Israel... Jacob had ended up in Egypt because of this horrible famine that was taking place. And so now Joseph had risen up. So, so he's feeding everybody and everything is wonderful. But after a while, Joseph dies. The famine is gone. Well, you know what happens when there's no more problems, don't you? I mean, people turn to, you know, people turn to government. They turn to Joseph or they turn to God in times of trouble. But when the trouble goes away, what do we do? We say, oh, okay, I got it figured out now, God. I'll let you know when I need you again. And that's what happened, not just to the Egyptians and the people living there, it also happened, happened to the Israelites as well. It happened to the Egyptians because the Egyptians said, now we don't need Joseph anymore, we don't need them. That, this family, uh, Jacob's family, this family of Israel was growing so fast, they were kind of overtaking, and oh, wait, who, who, who are you guys? You aren't Egyptians. And so they began to hate them and despise them until finally a Pharaoh put them into slavery. And so now they've been in slavery, and, and we don't know exactly how many years, somewhere between 100 and 200 years, probably, but don't argue with me about that because we could argue with it uh, over it for days, okay? But they were in slavery for many, many years, many generations. Israel, just like our nation, during this time had forgotten who God was. When they ended up in slavery and they, they could not worship every week and, and they, they weren't going to, to, they didn't have a temple. This was back before any temples or tabernacles were built. They didn't have time to go and they weren't enabled to really just go and hear the word and they had forgotten. And so what, what God was telling right there at the very beginning, God is, God is telling Moses, I want you to go and tell them these words. Israel had forgotten who God was. Just like our nation, we've forgotten who God, who God is. We've forgotten that he is the God that, is, that gives us the breath and gives us the life. We've forgotten that he is the God that has given us freedom and given us liberty. We talk about freedom and, and liberty in our country and we forget that we didn't get it because of a bunch of men who signed the Declaration of Independence. We got it because of a God who is sovereign setting over this that said, this is what I'm gonna bless and I'm gonna do. And our nation has forgotten, just like Israel, we've forgotten who God is. But the difference, we're, we're a lot like Israel was at this point, but the difference between our nation today and Israel then is Israel never forgot who they were. Let me explain. Israel forgot who God was. They forgot what, what he stood for, who he was. They forgot about his love. They forgot about his commands. They forgot. They knew there was a God out there, 
They forgot that, but they never forgot who God was. Because what God told Moses to do, when you go back and speak to the Israelites, when I tell them, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. Now, this was, this was sometime just before, before the, the scripture that we're reading right here. And when he gets to Israel to talk to them, he says, he says the Lord of your great-great-grandfather Abraham your, and, and his son uh, Isaac and his son Jacob, who you call Israel, the, it is this God who has sent me to you. And you know what Israel did? You know what the nation of Israel did? They stopped and they listened. You know why? Because they knew who they were. They didn't remember God, but they remembered that there was a God. There was a God that their great grandfather had heard speak to them and say, I am going to take you and give you a land that flows with milk and honey. That is awesome. And so here we have these slaves that are standing there and they don't know who this God is, but they know that there is a God and that they know that their connection to this God is through their, their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham and his son, Isaac and his son, Jacob. And they know this and they understand this. But what's different about our country is we've forgotten who we are. We have forgotten that we too as a nation had a connection to a God who sovereignly, there, there's no question about it. Look at, look at the history, read it, see it for yourself. It is obvious that God has smiled on this country. It is obvious that God was in control of establishing this country. It is obvious that God's blessings are on this country, but we as a nation have forgotten what that is. We've forgotten, that, we've forgotten uh, who we are. We are, the, we are the nation that, that over the last 200 plus years, we have been the blessing to the rest of the world. This was, this was even, even a way that God took one of the, the promises that he made to Israel and he bestowed it upon this nation, the United States of America, because God told Israel, in all, all nations in you, through you, will be blessed. And God has done the exact same thing with the United States of America. This, this whole world for the last 200 plus years has been blessed tremendously because of the blessings that God has put on us and through us, all nations of the world have truly been blessed. But we've forgotten that's who we are. We've forgotten that we were the, the leaders in so many ways of this world. We've forgotten of, of the blessings that God has put us in and we need to remember that again. So it is in this context that God then begins to tell them, let me tell you who I am and let me tell you how to treat one another. And so this morning, we're going to take the first four commandments real quick because they tell us about who God is. And then those last six, they tell us about how to treat one another. But we're not going to, uh, I don't really want to do this like A, B, C. I, 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 just, I just want to walk through this with you. And you might get lost and wonder, are we on number two? That doesn't matter because it's not about following a list. It's about getting the understanding of who he is and who we are again. And so in verse three, this is where he begins. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. And when God says this, here's one of the mistakes we make is we, we've got priority lists. We, we make lists, right? And so when, when God says, don't put anybody before me, we're, we're looking at a list. We're thinking about making God the top of the list. God doesn't want to be the top of the list. What you need to be thinking about is God wants to be the center of everything in your life. Okay, uh, it's important. Hopefully this will be explained, you know, here in this message, you'll kind of figure this out. But, but here's the problem with the way we do it a lot of times is when we put something at the top of the list, it's almost like we, we come to church on Sunday morning, the very first day of the week, and we come to church and okay, we worship him. And now we've checked God off because he was number one on our week, right? So we've checked him off. Now we can handle everything else. That's the problem with having him at the top of the list. That's not what he wants. That's not what this means. Put me at the top of your list. He is saying, put me in the center of your life. That means on Tuesday, he's still there. On Thursday, he's still there. On Saturday, you know, the night before we come back together, he is still there. He's not at the top of the list. He's at the center of our life. 
verse four. Uh, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Don't worship false gods and don't worship the true God falsely. Yeah, because you know what you can make? You, you can make a God out of anything. You know, and you can, you, can, you can even make a God out of the way you worship. You can, you can build some kind of crazy worship in such a way that, that you begin to worship worship instead of worshiping God. So don't worship him falsely and don't worship false gods. And then verse, uh, uh, verse well, that's actually part of verse five, but then uh, the rest of verse five and verse six, this God tells, here's why I don't want you to make any gods, because I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. I'm, now, some of you are a little jealous, you know, about somebody getting your place in the family or, you know, your place in somebody else's life. You got it honestly because you're made in his image and he said, I'm a jealous God. He doesn't like people getting in his place, okay? And he's God, okay? So he has the place. He chooses that. He says, I'm a jealous God, and I punish the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Not placing God in the center of your life does great damage to your family tree. That's, that's what this verse right here is saying, these two verses are saying. When you don't put God in his right place, you are destroying your family tree. Because God says, God says these things, your rewards or your penalties for, for not following and not putting me in the right place, that's gonna hand down to three and four generations. He said, but if you, will be, if you will be righteous, if you will follow after me, if you will put me in the center of your life, he said, I will pour those blessings out for a thousand generations beyond you. Wow, you see that there are penalties, but the rewards, the blessings of following God are even more. Thousands of times more of what God wants to do, do for us. And, and, and I know, look, sometimes, and I do this as well sometimes. Sometimes it's easy to look around and say, but you know, they're not following you, God. Those people, they're not following you. Look, look how their life is turning out. Man, they got all the money they need. They got all the time they need. They, they get to do what they want to do and all that. And, but understand God is a, Patient God, and he gives people time to repent. He gives people time to come back. But if he is God, if he is who he says he is, and he says, I am jealous, and I belong in this place that is the center of the universe, you are not the center of the universe, God says, I am. And if you don't put me there in your life, there is eventually going to be penalty to pay, and it's going to come down into the next generations and next generations because I mean, that sounds like, well, oh, God's a mean God if he would make our kids pay for that. No, it's, it's, it's not even that God makes it happen, is it? I mean, a man that beats his wife, what's he teaching his little boy? To get married and beat his wife. Someone who is an alcoholic, what is he teaching his kids? He's teaching them to be alcoholics. And, and, and the man that beats his wife, what is he teaching his daughter? He's teaching his daughter that she doesn't deserve anything better than to have a man that would beat her up. These things pass down and they pass down from generation to generation until somebody finally says, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of whatever the, the destruction is that is in my family. Come on, some of you are really dealing with some heavy stuff today. And you need to realize, here's what God is saying. God is not giving us a list. Do this, 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 or I'm going to destroy your family. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, if you keep doing these things, 
Instead of doing these things, you're going to continue to have destruction in your family. But if you'll turn it around and make me the center of your life again, God says, I will, I will visit the blessings of, of, of who I am and my power upon thousands of your generations to follow after you. And so those bad things pass down until finally somebody stands up and says, I am tired of the destruction in my family. And when you stand and you say that, then you begin to pass down the good blessings of God for the thousands of generations. Amen? See, this is a whole lot more than just a list. Oh man, this is power. This is amazing. This is what, God will do that for, yes. God will do that for you. You live in poverty, decide. My kids are not gonna live in, this stops today. You live in disagreement and disunity and disharmony and struggles and battles and, make up your mind, this ends today. I will not pass, I will not pass disharmony. Many of you have been touched by divorce. You need to say today, I will not pass this down to my kids anymore. It stops today. Many of you are touched by innumerable things. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we're praying with the worship team and the prayer team before service and the AV team before service, they'll ask if anybody else have any prayer requests. And sometimes I'll say, I got a list. I mean, I got a list here and I could talk about all of every one of your needs, but it's not going to stop until somebody stands up and says, today this stops in my family and I'm going to put God in the middle of the very center of everything in my life and this will not pass down from me. It came to me, but it will not get past me. It stops right here. It's time for some men to throw their shoulders back and say, this will not get past me. It's time for some ladies to throw their shoulders back and say, this will not get past me. This ends in my family today. And you can, make, you can make idols. I know some people think, well, idols, you know, that's kind of, you know, we don't have idols. We don't have idols today, do we? Right? Let me see. I got a short list for you. Oh, wait a minute. There it is already. I got a short list for you. Okay. I mean, here's three weeks of sermon material right here. Science. I mean, yeah, science can be a religion. Religion or an idol. Religion can be an idol. You know, just because... You have religion, it doesn't mean you're serving God. It's not the same thing. Your friends can be idols. You know, think, what's an idol? Think about what an idol is. You create an idol, you, you carve it, you make it, whatever, and then you adorn it. You, know, you, you, you buy accessories for it. You, know, you always got to take care of it things. If you got friends like that, you've made an idol out of your friends. You've always got to be tweaking something and doing something and handling them and adoring them and worshiping them or they won't be your friend. They're an idol. Your family can be the same way. Your spouse, your children, they can become idols to your life. When things get in the way of of who God is, when they become the center of your life instead of God. My marriage is strongest when when, when Deva is not the center of my life, but when God is at the center of my life. That makes my marriage stronger. I don't know if this makes sense to you or not. But, you know, it's, it's just like I got David right over here, you know, I got Cole right here. You know, David and Cole, you guys, y'all could drag your chairs in the center aisle and sit real close together, you know, and y'all could be buddies right there in the middle of the center aisle. But you know, I tell you another way you can get closer to one another. Without, if, if both of you guys approach me, as you get closer to me, you get closer together. You want to make your marriage stronger? See this picture. That as you and your spouse draw closer to God, you draw closer to one another. When you make him the center, as long as you're making your spouse or your kids, your family, the center of your life, 
you've got idols and it ain't going to work. But when you start drawing closer to God, you get closer to one another. And you make him the center. I don't have time to preach all this money and materialism. You know, we are like that. You know, the story, if you, if you ever heard the story where Jesus, this is a made up story. It's a parable. It's not a, a true thing, even though you'll recognize it. Well, that's true. It happens a lot. But Jesus told about a rich man who had so much stuff and he kept getting more and more stuff. His barns weren't big enough to hold all the stuff. And he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And no doubt after a while, he had to tear those barns down and build bigger barns. And he had to keep doing that and keep doing that and building bigger and bigger barns we have the same sin the same sin of stuff in 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 our society today because we just continue don't we come on anybody here have a storage unit come on somebody anybody got a storage unit and you got stuff in there that you haven't even looked in the box in three years and you're just hanging on to stuff right Oh no, preachers preaching against storage units in church today, right? I'm not preaching against them, but come on, are we not doing the same thing? And after what, we got to get a bigger storage unit. That's exactly what he was doing. And here's the thing is he had to keep tearing them down and building bigger. You know why? Because the worship of stuff will never satisfy you and you will constantly be having to build bigger and bigger things to hold your stuff. That will never satisfy you. Uh, career, education, Power, pride, ego, status, all that stuff. You, you can make an idol out of it. You can make an idol out of your career. You can make an idol out of your education. And you know what? It won't matter one bit. Nobody will remember you. Nothing will matter. And it, it'll, be, it'll be empty. It'll be, it'll be worthless to you if God's not in the center of you. You make a, an idol out of things. Things, you know, possessions, stuff. That stuff that we, you know, we have to put in our storage units. Oh, but really the idols are the... Those things that we don't put in storage units, the things that, you know, we have to put our stuff that we kind of need. We have to put our winter clothes in the storage unit because we've got to make room for our toys in the nice places, you know, got to make room for our toys. Let me, let me just say it. To, here, here, here's a way to look at this. There's a lot of ways to look at this. Here's one to throw at you. You've probably not thought of. Many times we get our, we get toys. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm, talk, I'm not talking about kids toys. I'm talking about our adult toys. And whenever we get a toy, that the payment for that toy keeps us from being able to honor God in tithing and offering and giving to missions because I got that toy payment over here, we have created an idol. You probably hadn't thought about it that way, had you? But when you can't honor God, you can't give to missions. This is a missions-minded church. We've been giving to missions since the very beginning. We give to missions a lot, thousands of dollars every year to missions. And if this, you know, if this is your church and you're saying, I, I believe in that, but if you've got toys that's got payments keeping you from that, then you've made the toy an idol and you can't be a part of what God is doing in that. Probably hadn't thought about those things this way, have we? Sports, hobbies, travel. You know what? Those things aren't bad in themselves. But when those become more important than following after God in this way, because in second Timothy, it tells us that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Then we make these things into idols of pleasure, our bodies, our physique, our fitness. Well, y'all can tell I'm not really into making this an idol, you know, but I do like the last thing in that list there, the food, right? Yep. Yep. Do you know you, that, those can be idols. Your diet can be an idol. 
Your workout regimen can be an idol. You know, whatever, all of these things can be idols. Sex can be an idol. It is an idol in this country. You look, look at the porn industry. Can I tell you something about porn real quick? I, I, don't want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Can I tell you this? Porn is idols. Those people aren't really what they look like in the pictures. And they don't act like you think they might act. They are idols and they are empty and they are worthless and they are vain, just in case somebody needed to hear that. And self com- ourselves, our comfort, our happiness, our, our ease. Let me tell you this. If you have made happiness your idol, if you have made happiness what it is, the center of your life and what you're all about, all it takes is one problem in your life and, and your whole world is crushed into nothing. Because you can't be happy every day. You can't be happy every moment. You can't be happy. You can't watch the news and be happy. You can't talk to your friends and hear about their problems and be happy. So when we make ease and comfort in ourselves and happiness, our idol in the center of who we are, and it's got to be about this, we're going to be crushed in just a little while because we're going to hear about something and we're not happy anymore. You know, all of these things, you know, everything, is there anything out there that is inherently bad in itself? No. Timothy Keller put it this way, a quote from him. He says, idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. That's what idolatry is. It is taking something that is good and it is making it the thing of your life. If there's anything in the center of your life besides God, the place that he belongs, then it's an idol. You have made it ultimate. You have made it more important than God. And you are going, and, and you and your family, everybody around you, your friends, your relationships, your children are all going to have to pay the consequences of you making an idol out of something that does not deserve that place in your life. One last point about idols. All other gods will keep you in slavery. Only Jesus will set you free. Because that idol, you have to take care of it. You have to buy the accessories, you know? You know, you, oh, I started to name an idol, but <laughs> I don't want to name an idol because somebody's going to think, oh, he's just talking about those people. No, no, whatever your idol is, you got to buy the, the other thing, right? You, you got to take care of it, right? You got to, whatever that thing is in your life that's so important to you, you, gotta, you become a slave to it. And everything you do, and, and, you know, and even the decisions that we make, that this world makes and says, we're making this because we want to have free choice and, and then we're free to make these and these are the things that are going to set us free. So we choose to be, to, to be a, an alcoholic. We choose to be a drug addict. We choose to have sexual freedom. And then what happens? These are the things that are enslaving us. All of these gods enslave us only jesus sets us free and what these very we've only been through two of these commandments what these very first two commandments are about it's not about the list of things that we need to do it is about you being free it's about you not being bound by by all of these things and about you not having the 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 bad stuff come into your life because of your poor decisions and your poor habits but it's about setting yourself free through jesus christ that's what these first two commandments are about Let's, 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 look, let's look at this third one. This is a quick one. It's uh, you should not, this verse seven, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And, and we've made this one a lot less than it really is because yes, God does not like people using his name with other four letter words, okay? 
and saying them in anger, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It really wouldn't be a good idea for me to give you examples right here. You understand? Okay, you can follow me, right? God does not like that. But you don't have to add a four-letter word to it. You can just say it in anger. You can say his name in anger and it still be the same thing. You can just say that his word, his name just in anger. And it's the same as if you added a four-letter word to it. If you say it in anger. But that's not even what this means either. You see, the reason is because the King James, a lot of people have heard this probably, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Say, taking God's name in vain. That's what we've heard. Take his name in vain. Take his name in vain. That's what we've heard. And so that's what we've got this idea. So it's about using his name as a cuss word. You know, if we do it. That's not what that means, is it? What does vain mean? We don't use that word a lot. But if we use it, we're talking about somebody who has ego, pride, you know, who primps and, you know, he's got, he's got to look in every mirror as they walk, you know, down through the department store or whatever. You know, that kind of vanity. But that, that's not what vain means either. Here's what vain means. Vain means empty, worthless, or false. So when we use the name of our God in vain, we are using it in an empty way, a worthless way, a false way. You know, the Jews, uh, just, uh, those who are very orthodox, they will not even speak his name. They won't even write his name. Even when they're writing, not just in Hebrew, if they're writing in English, you may have seen this if you've ever done much study of the Bible. You may have seen where some, some uh, Jewish rabbi has written and writing in English and he, gets, and he wants to say something about God and he'll write G and, and then just a dash and a D. Won't even write the English name that we use for God. You know, because he doesn't want to use it in a vain, empty, worthless way. Probably coming back to this at the very end. But understand, when we just toss his name around, his name is powerful. And when we toss his name around, we are using it in vanity. All right, so let's go to this fourth one. This is the last one we're going to cover today. It's a long one, isn't it? Uh, Exodus chapter 20, this verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your... Okay, now don't anybody check out on me yet, okay? All right. I know, we're New Testament, all right? But let's look at what he's saying here, okay? All right, let's look at what he's saying. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. I got to throw this in right here. I got to throw this in. This is a part... We always skip this part. I mean, have you ever heard anybody preach that that I just read to you? Six days thou shalt labor. Okay, so now if you ain't laboring, and the New Testament says if you ain't laboring, you don't deserve to eat. Okay, get this. Jesus didn't come just to make your life just the bed of roses and everything about ease and happiness. He expects you to do your work. He expects you to be a, give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Okay, so there's some labor with that as well, all right? All right, just... just throw that in there, that it's, it's in here in this commandment too. We don't really listen to that part, do we? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant. Not even, if these people had slaves, their slaves were not even allowed to work on the Sabbath nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. And, and, and did God need to rest? No. He didn't rest for him. He rested as an example to us. God doesn't have to rest. God doesn't get tired. 
God's arms aren't too short. His ears aren't too deaf. I mean, there's nothing God can't do. He didn't need to rest for himself. He rested for us. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. The doctrine of the Sabbath, now some of you will like this. The doctrine of the Sabbath teaches us that God expects us to take a break. Some of you need to hear that because you are running 24-7 from can to can't, trying to do everything you can, and God never expected you to do that. I know people that say, you know, I really need eight hours of sleep, but I just, I just get six. I just try to get by with six because I've just got so much to do. Wrong. God did not give you 26 hours of stuff to do and only 24 hours to do it. God is too organized. God is too wise. God is too capable to give you more than you can do in a 24-hour day. He expects you to lay down. I mean, if he didn't want us to rest, he wouldn't have made our bodies get tired so that we would have to take a rest. But he wants us to take a rest. He didn't give you seven days of work to do. All right, I know some of you ladies probably really want to nudge your husbands right here. Yeah, right? He didn't give you seven days of work to do. Now, back in those days, they worked six. In our society, we worked five at our normal jobs. And, and it, this is the normal, their average. And then we got probably some stuff to do around the house. So, I mean, we, we still end up working six if we're taking care of things like we should be taking care of things. But God gave you seven days. And he said, one of those days I've given you to take a rest. You need, you need to understand this. You are not, you know, because I, I really want, there are a lot of lazy people in this world today. There are a lot of lazy people in this country today. And if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. If you are capable of working, you can't work, you shouldn't eat. I mean, you shouldn't be taken from what somebody's worked all, hard all week. You shouldn't be. But you understand this other side of this too is God expects you to rest. You workaholics, you need to hear me. God wants you to take a break. God wants you to have a vacation. God wants you to take at least a day a week to renew, to be refreshed. He said, this ain't really what you thought the Ten Commandments was for some of you, is it? You know, I thought Ten Commandments, man, it's going to be, you got to do this, can't do this, can't do this. God wants me to take a break, yeah. God wants to set me free, yeah. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. God wants you to know him. And he wants you to know him in liberty and in freedom and in rest. Can I ask you to stand with me, if you will, and join me at the front? If you're a first-time attender, let me just tell you, we like to close around front and kind of all get together. And uh, I got one last little thing I want to throw at you, and we'll have a word of prayer and sing one last song. And if you're a first-time attender and you're comfortable doing so, we would love to have you join us, please around the front, just come on. We don't, we don't do anything weird down here, I promise. I'm the traffic cop, anything gets weird, I'm here to stop it, all right? We, we, just, we just wanna have a little bit of time together and we just like to do it here at the front. We're gonna sing that last song in just a minute, right? When we do, uh, there's gonna be a part in it that screen's gonna go blank, no words are up there, it's gonna be your time for you to say and for you to do, right? But let me share this one last little thing with you is um, you ever wonder why God picked a day? You know, a workaholic, like I have some tendencies to go that direction. So I could really easily say, you know what would have been, worked a lot better, God, is if you had just let everybody pick a day 
And that way work could have been going on all seven days. You know, some people be off on Monday, some be off on Wednesday. That makes sense to us today because that's what we do, right? I mean, a lot of our industries in our country, that's the way they work. You know, they work seven days a week. Actually, even a lot of them, three shifts, right? That way work's always going on. We can get more done, more and more done. But what'd God do? God picked a day. He picked a day and he said, all of you take off on the same day. It ain't working here, okay? It ain't working here right now, but in this country. But that's what he said, everybody, this one day. You ever wonder why he did that? He did that because he wants us to do some things together, such as worship and fellowship. He wants us to worship together. That's, that's what he was telling the Israelites. I want you to take this day off because I want you to honor me all together. I want you to spend time with your family. Don't even let your slaves work on that day. And don't, you know, don't, you, you don't get to take Saturday and your, and your sons and daughters have to go out in the field on Saturday and then, the, and then you swap up on Saturday. No, no, everybody, I want you to fellowship. I want you to fellowship and worship together. And you know, a lot of people say, well, pastor, and I've heard people say this, that, uh, that this, this commandment is the only one not repeated in the New Testament. I'll go along with you on that, okay? I, I don't really see it repeated in the New Testament. But what's more important than what is not said in the New Testament is what is said in the New Testament by Jesus himself, Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The rest was made for you. This time of rest and refreshing was made for you. So take it. Everybody take a deep breath and just let it out. Isn't it just awesome? Just, just, just rest. Just rest. Just, just be at peace for a moment. Poor pastor steps on your toes one last quick time. I believe across this country today, a couple hours ago, people were arriving at early services at some churches or, or on the East Coast. They were arriving. And, and you know, next hour or two, the people would be arriving in you know, the next two time zones. And I believe across this country, 75% of the people showed up in their Christian churches today expecting the pastor to preach about gay marriage. And, you know, there's a lot could be said here, but I want to I wrap this up as quick as I can. I don't want to say a lot here, but I want to I say this. It is not the Supreme Court's responsibility to establish righteousness in this country. It is not the president's responsibility it is not Congress's responsibility to establish righteousness in this country. It begins right here. It begins right here and it begins in every, every little local church all across this world. This is where righteousness begins and this is where the example of righteousness has to begin. What we've got to do is we've got to start showing them what real marriages look like. What we got to do is we got to quit. We got to quit pointing fingers and say, and, and we got to realize this: that this problem is not here today. The, the, and I'm not talking about any one problem. I'm talking about all the problems of of our country that no longer knows who God is. Is this didn't happen because of the the administration that we presently have in the White House? Now, I know some of you want to argue with me. But the only thing has been said a lot of times, hasn't it? The only thing that has to happen for bad men to succeed 
is for good men to do nothing. We are not losing righteousness because of political battles. We are losing righteousness because the church has not been the church. This begins with us today. It's time for us to show this world what love is. Because this is not a list of commands. Do this or I'm going to send you to hell. That's not what God said. God said, do this so you are not bound. Do this so I can set you free. Do this so you can be amazed at my blessings to your children and for thousands of generations. This is what this means. And so let this begin in us today. Let us ask the question, do I know God like I should know God? And we might want to point a finger at nine judges and about you know, two decisions this week that were made that heavily impact this country. We want to point and say, but that's not, there are 20 times as many people in this room right here who hold more responsibility for righteousness than those nine judges who sit in the Supreme Court. We have responsibility. And, and, and we, can, we can say as a church, we have failed by we have not known God enough, but that's not enough. It must become individual. We must ask the question, do I personally know God like I am supposed to know God? And have I personally committed myself to this body of believers or wherever it is, if you're a visitor and you attend somewhere else, but this body of believers that have given me to worship with and to fellowship with on a regular basis. If I hadn't done that, God forgive me and let me reestablish. Bow your heads with me right now. Don't start.